You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing well, Dave. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Glad to be here for our first uh, full episode of a podcast. Yeah, this should be good. Yeah. And so, you know, the main thing that uh, that we're hearing from clients right now, at least for me, has been uh, what's the election going to mean for the markets in my portfolio? Yeah, absolutely. Lots of client conversations around, hey, we're back kind of from where we were when in March when the whole pandemic thing really hit the stock market. But don't get too excited because the election season's coming up. So right, that right. always means more volatility, which we're going to kind of dive into today. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at things. It's always good, I think, to start with history. And really what, what history tells us is the market really doesn't care who the president is or who's in charge of Congress, for that matter. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, super interesting point out of all this and the research that we've done is that, you know, it's a big talking point and you can hear a lot of things on CNBC about it. But at the end of the day, it really hasn't shown to make a big difference, no matter what party was elected. Sure. Yeah, it, it it's more of a distraction to what's really going on in terms of what drives the markets. I think it's tough for clients and for investors in general to see past all the emotions that get tied up in the market or sure. in, in, in elections. You know, we we put a lot of uh, we put a lot of energy into uh, thinking about who to support and and what the outcomes are going to be. And I think we get wrapped up in what will happen if that outcome isn't what happens. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of anxiety around it too. You know, it's kind of, you know, the volatility is coming, you know, there's going to be change. And I think that kind of gets people riled up too. Mm-hmm. And, and to use an analogy, if I, if I may, it's like taking your kid to get a shot. They know it's coming. They're super <laughs> anxious about it. And then it's over in a split second and they're fine and they're better off for it in the long term. But before leading up to there's all kinds of anxiety around that. And I think that elections and stock markets are very, very similar to that. Right. And this election seems to have a lot more emotion behind it than in the past. And I think that amplifies, if you will. Oh, absolutely. How people feel about it right That's now. Very fair way to put <laughs> that. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, history kind of shows us. Uh, if we look at uh, if we look at how the Standard and Poor's 500, so the 500 largest companies in the country have fared during election and non-election years from 1933 to the present, the uh, non-election years, the average return has actually been 15 percent. Mm-hmm. And then when you factor in, in during presidential election years, though, that return has been 10.6. So still a very good positive number. But it kind of shows, too, that it's, it doesn't quite do as well as uh, as non-election years. Right. And then when you add in midterm elections, it's it's 9.8%. So there's a little bit of a increased volatility around, uh, you know, the Senate changing hands and, and Congress congressional turnover, too. Right. I thought this was interesting, though. Two of our most recent election, presidential elections, 2000 and 2008, were extremely negative years for the markets with that had absolutely nothing to do with the presidential election. 
Yeah. Yeah. We, we were in the middle of the, the tech bubble burst in 2000. And then uh, 2008 was the height of the financial crisis with uh, banks failing and uh, all kinds of uh, angst around that. And when we take those numbers out, all of a sudden the difference between election and non-election years becomes 2% instead of 5%. Right. So, you know, and uh, is it fair to pick two presidential years and pull them out of there? Yeah. You know, would we, those being fairly recent history, I think we can look at what was going on then and, and feel pretty sure that that didn't have anything to do with the election. Right. Exactly. You know, and and there's a lot of years in there that makes more sense going closer to the average. Yeah. Yeah. So then what what happens when different parties are in charge? There's this assumption that certain administrations are more business friendly and better for the economy than others. But uh, when we look at the statistics from the market, again, it's not so clear cut. In fact, it's a little bit counterintuitive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of surprisingly so. I would think even, you know, no matter who you were talking to, Republican or Democratic, I think the general assumption is Republicans, when they hold the presidential, it, the stock market tends to be better. And that's not necessarily the case. Well, it, at least in election years, what we see is that uh, when the Democratic contender wins, the market return has about been about 14.6%. And when the Republican contender wins, it's been about 10.5%. So a little bit, little bit different than what most people would assume. And then what I find the most interesting thing in this set of statistics, though, is when we look out a year later into the, you know, the, the year after an election year, the returns are almost identical, whether it's a Democratic executive or a Republican in the White House. It uh, it's twelve point eight percent with a Democratic presidency and twelve point four percent with a Republican presidency. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a rounding error. That right. You know, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't get closer than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, at the end of the day, what this tells us, as far as history goes, it's kind of a big shrug. You know, right. the the market doesn't really care. Right. And I think that's you know, and, and one of the messages that we always have to clients is. Yes, there's going to be a lot of press coverage around elections. Yes, there's going to be a lot of volatility. But at the end of the day, it's not really going to make a difference one way or the other when we're looking at the long term of your portfolio. So unless you're planning on taking all your money out in the next six to 12 months, you're going to be fine if you're a long term investor and you stick with it. And say, say you agree with that, but you still think, hey, it's going to be ugly around the election. What if we just sit out for a while and then you get into the the whole conversation about, OK, you know, is today the day to take the money out and then when will be the day to put the money back in? And right. it's never it's never as easy as it sounds. Yeah. And when you know the market is going to be OK in the long run, why worry about it? Because you're probably going to get at least one part of that decision wrong right. and undo all the good that you you could potentially gain from it. You know, it's never fun and it's never easy to tell clients that the best thing to do is nothing. Right. Oh yeah. But but this is definitely one of those situations when the best thing to do is nothing. 
And you're, and you're so right about that point. I think a lot of times we forget about the flip side of getting back in the market. You know, it's always mm-hmm. the kind of, hey, we want to get out. We want to protect. You know, it's easy to pull the trigger and get out, but it's extremely difficult, virtually impossible to know when to get back in. And that you have to, you can't have one without the other. Right, right. And uh, kind of the corollary to that is we always want to make sure we've got short-term spending needs met. That money shouldn't be in the market, whether you think, uh, you know, the market's going to be great or the market's going to be lousy. So, you know, if you can't get through a volatile period because you have too much in the market, that's a different conversation. Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, what really matters to the market is the economy and the larger economic cycle. Presidential party in power can change things a little bit in terms of the economic cycle, but they certainly don't change things drastically. Right. You know, that's uh, one of the key things about a democratic Republic like our own is that it's really hard to implement large changes in policy. Even if you, even if you have majorities in both houses of Congress and the white house and, uh, and coupled with that too, the idea of, I don't want to be too politically cynical here, but but parties are also all about self-preservation. And if they win election, they're always looking to the next election. And you do not want to be the party in power that implements policies that tank the economy. Right. So that's kind of the the theoretical historical framework. But, you know, then we always get the questions of, well, but this year is different, right? Right. This year, this one, this one always, and it will always be, this one is different and here's why. And it's because it's what's in front of us. But so, you know, let's, let's think about that for a few minutes, maybe a little more specifically. And I guess on the one hand, if, if president Trump wins reelection, we kind of know the status quo, at least in terms of the markets, right? Right. We, it'll be chaotic, but the policies will probably remain market friendly. And, and so we've kind of seen how that's played out over the last few years. If uh, Joe Biden wins and if the Democrats win the Senate, there's talk, um, you know, we've heard, we've heard pundits on the news and different sources talking about, well, taxes will change and these policies are going to be anti-market. And, and so, you know, maybe a little little more specific on that. What we're seeing from the from the Biden campaign is a plan to increase corporate taxes from 21 percent to 28 percent. And but for context, just two years ago, the U.S. marginal corporate tax rate was 35 percent. Right. So we're not talking about even going back to where we were just 36 months ago. So on the personal side of taxes, what the Biden campaign is talking about is increasing income taxes for households over 400000 And again, not to anything crazy, but to where they were pre-2017. So from 37% and some change to 39.5%. Yeah. Actually, what they're talking about is some tax breaks and deductions on lower income levels that could actually, for a lot of uh, retirees and and working folks here in Michigan, equate to uh, lower personal income taxes. Right. And I think this is, you know, something that a lot of these changes, a lot of things that we're talking about, something that, you know, we've kind of seen in the past in terms of 
one party wins and is able to push some stuff through and, and it goes one direction and the other party kind of comes back the other direction. And then eventually we kind of settle on some sort of happy medium for a while. And, and so it's important to note that, yeah, we're, there's swings from one direction to the other one, but we're still in a different place when it comes to corporate and personal taxes than we were, you know, 10 or five, 10 years ago and, and mm-hmm. still lower than what it has been. So I don't think it's going to be this, you know, phenomenal drop or, you know, hit to the market or the economy. I think it's just kind of one of those, the, the pendulum is swinging and it kind of slows right. down and right. kind of settles somewhere. It's kind of what we're, we're going through. Yeah. And, you know, there's no doubt that taxes are an important component of what, how the stock market behaves company profits drive share prices. Right. And if companies are paying higher taxes, they're less profitable. Right. And if you don't have as much money in your pocket because you're paying higher taxes, you're not buying as much stuff at the store and you're maybe taking fewer vacations. But we're also talking about going back to tax policy the way it was for a long time anyway, and the economy still grew. And the economy will continue to grow despite the tax changes that are being talked about. Another thing that I think is important is even even under the previous tax regime in 2017, by and large, the tax burden on Americans is much lower as a percentage of our economy than I think people realize and lower lower than, than what we see in the rest of the developed world. Our tax burden as a percentage of our GDP is about 26%. And that puts us in like the bottom quartile amongst developed countries with Denmark and France and Belgium being near the top at like 45%. And the right. average for the uh, developed world is about 34%. So why is that? It's not that our tax rates are so much lower. It's that our economy and our growth in our economy has historically been so robust. Right. In a large portion of what makes up that growth is consumer spending. Right. So if you right. take away the consumer's ability to spend, right. the economy doesn't grow as fast. So it's kind of this tightrope that they're trying to walk right. in terms of right. you know having enough tax to run the government, but also allowing citizens to spend that money because that's what keeps the country growing. Right. Right. Well, and I think there's also room for a debate about whether in the long run, keeping taxes as low as they are while we continue to to develop debt, would it be better would we be better off raising taxes now and keeping government debt under control versus continuing to keep taxes low and grow the economy now? Is that going to have a cost down the line? And that's a whole macroeconomic argument that's over my head. But uh yeah. You know, definitely, uh, you know, something to think about when you're thinking about these in terms of politics. Right. I think and I think that's a great point, because we hear a lot about the debt, and how big it is and how, you know, we shouldn't have a debt. And if it was my family's debt, well, th- those are that's like, you know, comparing apples to oranges. And the reality is nobody knows what a mass the debt that we have, what that means for, you know, the future 
never really been in a position with this type of economy with this type of debt. Right. And a, a macroeconomist <laughs> would tell you that the difference between you, your family and the, and the government is you don't get to print your own money. So, <laughs> so I, I, I'll get in way over my head really fast if I try to discuss that. But there's a whole theory about government debt when you're, when the country can print its own money and essentially there's an unlimited appetite for its, uh, its bonds. So, right. Yeah. Um, so kind of bringing that all back around to where we are today, though, too, we said a few minutes ago that, you know, you never want to be the party in power when the economy slows down. And so, you know, what's the situation we're in right now? What's the what's the what's the party? Whoever wins office in November, what are they going to walk into in January? Right. You know, it's we're we're still recovering from the uh, government the economic shutdowns from this spring. At this point, at least, you know where the health situation is headed is still an unknown. So I would not expect. And again, I I hate putting myself in the position of making predictions, but it doesn't it seem a little crazy to think that whomever walks into office in January of uh, 2021 is going to be excited about raising taxes and slowing the economy down in the face of right. what we're all yeah. going through. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, we've got, we've got a huge spike in unemployment and numbers today indicate it's leveled off a little bit as we're recording this, but uh, you know, we're still seeing an economy that went from near zero unemployment in February to one of the biggest spikes in unemployment we've ever, ever seen, if not the biggest in the course of like six weeks. And I think, too, you know, when you think about it, we always talk about how the stock market is looking forward. So mm-hmm. you know, the stock market's, you know, six months ahead of what's happening. And so Easily. Yeah. they've priced a lot of this in and the consensus is exactly your point. I don't think anybody's thinking January 1st, we're all of a sudden going to start raising taxes. Yeah. It's, you know, We're thinking more along the lines of stimulus, especially if the current administration right. doesn't get anything through now, there's going to have to be a second round of something yeah. at some point to prop up the economy. Both campaigns are talking about more stimulus and taxes are anti-stimulus. So there would be absolutely no impetus to 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 stimulate the economy on one hand and raise taxes to hurt the economy on the other. Right. At least in the short run. Now, post recovery, I can see, you know, then that becoming at least a debate, but I yeah. just don't see it happening soon. And right. by the by the time we get to that point, they're already going to be thinking about re-election. It's uh, never, never try to predict the markets, the economy or politics. Right. Yeah, but, exactly. or, or, or we can add, we can add global pandemics to that list. now. There too. you go. There but, you go. Uh, so just to kind, to kind of recap a little bit, we talked about if Trump wins kind of the status quo, we've talked about if Biden wins and the Democrats win the Senate, the, the different policies that they're looking at and probably in my opinion, right after we just said, you know, don't try to predict politics, but probably some sort of split. I don't think either party is going to maintain control of president, House and Senate. So I think that there's going to be some kind of gridlock, which we generally see in the markets as a good thing because there's right. nothing that's going to get pumped through that 
probably shouldn't be or is questionable. And then the other outcome too, I think people need to be aware of and will probably be the most detrimental to the stock market in the short term is if there's some sort of delay in terms of the voting, if they can't count everything, or if, you know, we have a, mm-hmm. a, another Florida situation where the presidential election isn't decided on yeah. election night, we could definitely yeah. see a short term tailspin in yeah. terms of the market. For sure. But, but go, kind of going back to where we started though, those are distractions and it will certainly be, angst ridden. There's no doubt if we don't have a clear cut winner shortly after the election. But and, and I'm glad you brought up uh, the what happened in, in 2000 when uh, when we had a deadlock. And uh, you remember the dangling chads that we were trying to count yeah. in Florida, you know, and, and waiting to see how that was going to play out. The market hated that. It was very volatile. But we were also in the middle of a bear market crisis caused by the tech bubble bursting. And so if you if you look at the charts from that and this would have been a good one to pull up and have handy. But, you know, that was a little that was a little dip and more extra volatility for a couple of weeks. But in the at the end of the day, the market continued to trend the same way it had been trending and and snap back in line. And, you know, history doesn't necessarily repeat, but if we get into that kind of situation, just keep in mind the market, sure, it's going to be volatile. The market hates uncertainty. And anytime anything is uncertain, people get angsty and sell stock. And, but if you look at what really affects the, uh, you know, not knowing who the president is for a week or two, doesn't really change the direction of the economy. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, if, if anything else, like we said, when you're looking at the presidential election and part of the reason why we wanted to um, do this podcast and get this information out and, and the conversations we're having with clients are to prepare you for the potential things <laughs> that might happen, even yeah. though in the long term they're not going to affect you. Because what we find as, as a success is if you're prepared for it, if you know that, hey, if, you know, for some reason the election isn't solved, there's probably going to be a drop in the stock market. But mm-hmm. if you're already prepared for that, you're much more likely to not call and pick up the phone and right. get out of the market like we talked about, because yeah. that's not a solution that is going <laughs> to be good for you in right. the long term. The right. best solution is to stick with it. And the best way to stick with it is to understand the potential of what's going to happen over the next right. couple of months so that you can get through that. Because like we've said a couple different times, you know, chances are if history is any, any proof, things are going to be just fine come next right. year and, and now, back to normal. Yeah. Not, not that we don't love to talk to you. Feel free to call us, but yes. you know, we'd rather have you not worry about it. Right. And, and take, take the take the big picture view. Sure. There's one uh, other policy aspect that we didn't really talk about. And that kind of around uh, climate change and sustainable energy policies, uh, you know, has a, been an important part of uh, the Biden campaign and would probably be important for most of the Senate candidates in that party as well. And, you know, some things to keep in mind there is a lot of times when we see when we see this sort of uh, policy change, there, there's kind of two aspects to it. One is it shuffles the deck in terms of who the winners and the losers are in the economy, but it doesn't necessarily hurt everyone. Right. I wouldn't necessarily want to be a fossil fuel producer that was unwilling to change my ways 
if, uh, you know, we see a, a democratically controlled Senate and White House. Absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot is made about climate change, sustainable energy on a corporate level. I think for the most part, a lot of companies are doing really well with this. But I definitely, and there's been a big shift from this current administration to what the Biden administration is proposing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of investment companies, investment firms are starting to look at these things as well. And so I think right. when the market starts policing it along with the political aspirations, you're going to see some of that change regardless of what those policies might be. Yeah. And and we've seen we've seen that coming out of asset managers, uh, you know, with the 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 biggest that we follow being BlackRock, where they're basically saying, hey, if companies cannot figure out how to behave sustainably, they're probably not long-term viable options for investing. So, you know, the market will start to reward those behaviors as investors look to those as not just not just a philosophy, but as a mark of a company that's serious about being in business 50 years from now. Absolutely. And I guess the last thing I would say about that, though, too, is is if we do see government programs along those lines, you're going to see stimulus and jobs created in alternative energy sectors. And, you know, it may not be great to be a fossil fuel company, but it will definitely be a boon to some other producers and, and programs. So, right. yeah, not and it's it's part of why we're diversified with our investments and looking at uh, economic growth and betting on the whole economy and not the um, not necessarily picking winners and losers out of that. Right. And I think that's a, a great point too, Dave, that we haven't touched on. We're building portfolios when we're in, and the reason why diversification is so important is we're not taking this information and trying to place a bet on who's going to win the election, (laughs) who's going to, and what companies are going to benefit from that. We're holding a diversified baskets because we know that some companies are probably going to benefit and some companies probably won't. But again, that will flip and that will change. And trying to predict what that is going to be is another virtually impossible task. So, and you're going to see a ton of articles on the internet, on the newsstand, Um, You know, the top five stocks to buy with a Biden administration, the top 10 stocks to own if Trump wins reelection. You're going to see a lot of that out there from the media. It'd be really interesting to take those and put together portfolios now, like like tracking portfolios. I wouldn't actually invest a client's money this way and then come back like six months or a year from now and see how they're doing. Oh, sure. Because my bet, my experience has been, and there's actually research around this, those, those articles are a bunch of hooey and, you know, they may get lucky and pick a couple things right, but the odds are not good. And, but they get people excited and they get, they get you thinking that you've got some kind of inside track to beat the market by picking the right right stocks off of, uh, off of, uh, you know, something that you see at the airport newsstand that was probably written in July. That's right. You and, know. That, and, and when you think about that, you got to think about how are those people getting paid? They're not getting right. paid to invest money. They're getting paid <laughs> to get you to read their article. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it doesn't matter to them if it's a good oh, investment or a bad yeah. one. Dorsey Wright, uh, Dor- Dorsey Wright, a uh, big uh, uh, money management firm that specializes in technical analysis, used to just take the covers of those magazines and keep them. 
Okay. With the names on them. And then they would track those stocks, not necessarily just around elections, but, you know, every year you see the, you know, the top five funds to own, the top six stocks sure. to pick, you know, whatever those were, they collected those and they actually did research on that. And uh, awesome. it'd be, it, it, the results were not good, not good. <laughs> can only so, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So I think kind of in summary, what we're trying to, to get out there is number one, stay invested. It's, you know, we're going to go through some volatility, but stay invested. Number two, be diversified in your holdings. Number three, you know, if you get nervous feet or you get scared, call your financial advisor, call your planner, talk through your specific situation to make sure there's nothing you need to do and that is really truly what will help you stay invested and stay diversified and make sure you're still on the right track absolutely absolutely i think that will uh that will wrap up our inaugural uh podcast episode all right all right one down one down all <laughs> right <laughs> we will uh talk to you later thank you Gather round and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.